praise and offering. Love that. Don't you love that? What a great video. I don't know about you, but that those fish they caught looked a little shy of 30 centimeters. I don't know about that, eh? They, they, they got the missing other from New World or something. Oh, oh, God. No worries. Well, my name's Pete MacArthur. I'm one of the pastors here. It's such a privilege to share with you this morning on big life. Big life. Last week, we looked at a big God. This week, we're looking at what it means to live a big life. Let me ask you something of a personal question. How old were you when you were first caught stealing? Oh, yeah, there's a, a big laugh from down the front. He knows exactly how old he was, Jeff Carr. Well, <laughs> that's fantastic. <laughs> he says, 63. <laughs> Just last week. Um, <laughs> awesome. Well, I was five or six when I was first caught stealing. Um, we didn't have heaps of money as a kid, and mum always made me save my pocket money, so there wasn't always heaps of money to go to the shop and buy lollies. But uh, my mother and I were in the dairy one day, and I decided um, at a tender age of just five or six to take some lollies off the shelf, put them in my pocket, and walk out the door. And uh, like any five or six-year-old, you don't get very far down the road before you're found out. You know, it would be wise just to take them home and hide them under your pillow. But of course, no one ever does that and you always get caught. So my mother marched me back to the store, tears and all, to um, utter an apology and to give back the, the bedraggled lollies that, that, that had been stored in my little pocket. I wonder, though, if there's an idea out there in the world that tends to kind of affect us from a very young age. And I wonder if that idea is, in order to get what I want, I need to take it from somebody else. And this, this idea it plays out in our lives. And so and maybe it becomes more subtle as we get older, but there's an idea out there that a lot of us in our culture tend to live by is that in order for me to prosper, it has to be at the expense of somebody else. And my, my son, he's only two and a half, and he's already learnt this. He, he loves going to Power Sparks, which is for the under fives here at church. And uh, in Power Sparks, there is one Percy train. You know, like from Thomas the Tank Engine, there's Percy, and there's only one of these trains. And Joel has worked out that the only way he is going to be the person who gets to play with Percy on a Sunday morning is to swindle it out of every other kid in that program who wants to play also with Percy. He's learned it. Deep within our kind of human nature, there's this idea that one person prospers, but only at the expense of somebody else. We take this into a number of different situations. You know, when we get a job, we might say something like, I fought hard to get this job, or I, I fought hard to beat everybody else in this job. Because in our minds, we're thinking that in order for me to get this job, I have to deprive everybody else of that job. Or when we talk about climbing the corporate ladder, we often talk in the media and in our conversation about stepping on other people as we climb the corporate ladder, moving past people. When we go into certain kind of financial negotiations, whether for a house or, or for rent or for whatever, we kind of, and I'm no exception to this, we, we go in with this mindset of in order to get a good price, I need to kind of 
play the game so that they play it worse than I'm playing it. You know, you know, the game around negotiating a house price is one where, where there are all these kinds of tricks involved. And the outcome is that you get a cheaper price and they get less for their home. Can I take it just a little bit step further this morning, maybe throw the cat amongst the pigeons a little bit? I won't label any companies, but we celebrate successful companies. In our culture, we celebrate certain successful companies as, oh, those are amazing companies when their success is built on factory conditions which are less than humane. There's, and, and within our psyche, there's this idea that someone can only prosper at the expense of somebody else. Well, I've been deeply challenged and convicted this week as I look to Scripture because Scripture says the opposite. The Bible tells us that as Christians, we are to create around ourselves a kind of Garden of Eden where other people can come and be blessed just by being in our lives and around us. And that generosity, as Scripture teaches it, is not just a nice little extra thing we add on to our lives, but actually generosity is an expression of faith. Faith that the God who provided what you have today will continue to provide for what you will need tomorrow. The generosity, I'm telling your church this morning, a big life generosity is a faith step. Faith that God who provided once will continue to provide. So I'd love to kind of start at the beginning on this one and show you where this idea comes from. You see, Genesis chapter 1 speaks of how God created the heavens and the earth. And it speaks of how God, who created uh, everything we see, the peak of his creation, he said it was very good. The epitome of his creative uh, mind was a garden. That's, that, that's symbolic. In fact, I, I believe that Genesis, in fact, Genesis 1 through 5 is some of the most symbolic scriptures in the whole Bible. And at the peak of God's creation, there is a garden. Over six days, God created animals, birds, trees, oceans, land, sky, and the heavens. But we read this in Genesis chapter 2. Now the Lord God had planted a garden in the east, in Eden, There he put the man that he had formed. The Lord God made all kinds of trees grow out of the ground, trees that were pleasing to the eye and good for food. In Eden, there was a garden, a garden of abundance. Eden was not a possession that Adam and Eve held as their marked out allotment in life. It was not a possession that they could lay hold to. It was a garden that was designed to benefit a whole community. You see, in our world, we think of kind of taking for ourselves the things that we need, but it was never supposed to be a take from someone else mentality. It was always supposed to be a garden mentality. Our our thinking around generosity and how we are to live, and especially in terms of big life and the life that Christ has come to bring, was always supposed to be a garden mentality. Your life was always supposed to be a garden And we see this, and I wish I had much more time to kind of go through story after story after story, but all through Genesis, into Exodus and into Joshua, Joshua, all the way through the Bible, we see examples, positive examples of people who lived like their life was a garden. 
and negative examples of people who thought in their minds the only way I can prosper is, for, is to take for myself at the expense of somebody else. I'm not going to encourage us to all become vegans today, but if you're a vegan, God bless you. I think it's a great way to live. I'm not. I love a great steak. But, but the vegan lifestyle was the garden lifestyle. And the reason why garden uh, animals didn't eat each other and humans didn't eat animals back then was so that the success of one creature would not be at the expense of another creature. That the garden was a place where everybody could flourish and prosper as they shared with each other. Cain and Abel, we read in their story as the first example of the contrast between these two ways of thinking. We read this, uh, Cain and Abel both offered sacrifices to God, but God's favor was on Abel because it says that he, uh, Abel did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and Cain didn't. Cain fell exactly into the same trap that you and I fall into, is that when we want something in life, we attempted to take it for ourselves instead of trusting God to hear us and provide for us. It says this in Genesis chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. Then the Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what was right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what was right, sin was crouching at your door. It desires to have you and you must rule over it. Cain desired favor with God and the way he chose to try and get it was to remove his brother from the top of the list. Instead, and this is vital if you want to kind of go back and and study this in the weeks to come, this I noticed was fantastic. God commanded humanity to rule over the beasts. But instead of ruling over the beasts, Cain became a beast. Cain became a beast by taking for himself what he wanted, just like beasts do. The big life, the abundant life, is a generous lifestyle where we trust God to provide. You know, when I left school, I uh, felt the call to go to the UK to serve on the mission field there. I was serving in a a part of Birmingham in the UK where a lot of um, Pakistani and Bangladeshi people were. There weren't very many churches. And in order to do this, I needed to raise funds for my living costs and for the ministry there. And I needed to raise about $20,000 now, that's a huge amount of money for someone who hasn't even turned 18. So I threw everything I had at it. We sold stuff. My parents contributed some. But we still came up really, really short. Every day, my father and I would pray for God's provision. And every day, we would see little miracles of how he provided. Over just a few short months, the Lord provided everything that we needed, nearly $20,000, and continued to provide. Now, for me, that was a formative experience. But it is in direct, it's a contrast to how I live. And it's a contrast to how you live, and it raises a question of how do you live with that kind of faith and dependence when you know and I know that on Tuesday evening, probably this week or next, you'll receive a salary? How, how do you live by faith when you know and you can depend on your financial situation being steady. Because that's really where we are all at. 
I believe the answer to that question, as I've thought about it and as I've looked through Scripture, is to express our faith in a provider God by challenging ourselves to be as generous as possible. Remember, church, that a big life, an abundant life, is a generous one. Proverbs chapter 11 verses 24 to 25 picks up this thought as it's carried through Scripture, that the kind of comparison between a garden mindset and a take-for-yourself mindset. It picks up this thought where it says, The world of the generous gets larger and larger, and the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller. The world, uh, the one, sorry, the one who blesses others is abundantly blessed, and those who help others are helped. And we can put this into action, and we can see this working out all the way through Scripture when Jesus says these words in John 10, verse 9 and 10, and this is potentially a source of great controversy in the church as to what he meant by the last line. Listen to this. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. They will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, to kill, and destroy. But I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. You may have heard it said, I have come that they have life, life in all its abundance. That's a controversial scripture. So we need to kind of look at the context of this particular scripture And notice that Jesus is speaking about himself being the good shepherd and all of us being the sheep that follow the shepherd. So there's this sheep mentality all the way through that scripture, and it carries it into this particular verse. So the question that I'm asking you is, what does it mean for a flock of sheep to experience abundant life? Because that's where the metaphor is going. That's where the metaphor is going. Jesus is saying, you are all like sheep and my sheep will experience abundant life. So what does it mean for a flock of sheep to experience abundant life? Well, imagine this. You're standing at the top of a hill and you look out over a plain and you see a flock of a thousand sheep. What would those sheep look like if they were experiencing abundant life? Could it be that there's just a few fat sheep and 900 healthy, uh, hungry sheep. No, no, no. Abundant life for a flock of sheep means everybody is enjoying grass. Water is available to all of the sheep. The sheep are, are sharing with each other and they're saying, I've found this great place of delicious green grass. Would you come over and share this grass with me? You see, the, the, the mindset of abundant life was always communal life. It was always a generous sharing of what we have. I'm convinced here today that, you will, uh, that we will experience the abundance, abundant provision of God on our lives like never before when as a community we learn to excel in our generosity. When we learn to excel in our generosity, we will as a community experience abundant life. Sarah and I, we uh, recently had a little, our second little son, which is awesome. And uh, we have just been so overwhelmed by people's generosity on our life. Our little boy Hudson is now five weeks old. And uh, we haven't really cooked a meal in the last five weeks because people have been so overly generous. It's been amazing. In fact, one, one family, they said, oh, Pete, would love to come and bring you a meal. And, and the answer to that 
is always absolutely come on over, you know. <laughs> you don't say no to someone like that. Oh, could you come over tomorrow? No, no. Um, you say, come over right now and bring, bring the food. Um, so these guys came over and they, they brought a meal, but they didn't just bring one meal. They brought a meal for that evening and they brought three other meals for our freezer. And we had one of them last night, actually. It was a delicious mince and cheese pie. It was fantastic. Homemade pie. It was one of the best pies I've ever had. But we are just feeling so, so blessed. And the purpose of that blessing on our lives has been to teach us to humbly accept generosity from somebody else. It's taught us to humbly accept somebody else's generosity, but it's also inspired me and raised the bar on my own generosity to help somebody else in the same way. You see, when you're generous to somebody, it just doesn't finish there. It's not just a one-off gift. It's a, it's a chain reaction of God's goodness. You give something to somebody and it inspires them to do the same for somebody else. And it's like a chain reaction that goes through the community. Generosity catches on so that God's goodness would explode into people's lives as we practice giving with each other. So here are some kind of practical ways that I believe we can put into action on this idea of generosity in big life. First is this. Generosity moves quick. Generosity moves quick. I wonder if you've ever had somebody give you something at just the perfect time. There's something really special about uh, having a need and immediately Having heard that you've got that need, somebody has just blessed you at the perfect time. You know, a window of opportunity to bless somebody in a, in a time of need is quite a narrow window. If you leave it a couple of days, you often lose your opportunity. And so what I'm telling you this morning is that generosity moves quick. It might be a gift of time. It might be a meal for somebody else. It might be slowing down on the street long enough to talk with someone who needs it. Whatever the situation requires, let me encourage you this week, church, to act swiftly to be there for somebody. Paul the Apostle talks about having experienced this kind of generosity from somebody, uh, from a group of churches in 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It says this, In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. It says that in the midst of a trial, even though they were going through something of their own, even though in the back of their mind, they're thinking, well, I might have the means to properly bless this person at some point in the future, so I'll just leave it to them, because that's the temptation. They said, actually, no, now is the opportunity. Now is our chance to bless Paul. Let's bless him abundantly, even though we're going through a season of difficulty. Let me ask you right now to make the decision in the week that's coming at the first time you see a need in someone's life and someone around you to make that decision that you're going to help them if you can. It might be a lunch date with somebody to catch up and just to be present in their life through a tough time. It, it might mean dropping a meal around to somebody else. It might mean even babysitting a young family so that their parents can go out, something that they don't often get to do. Let me encourage you, church, to move quickly and to take the opportunity when it first arises because you never know when that opportunity is going to present itself again in their life. Secondly, 
And this, is, this has been massive for me and, and even our marriage relationship, but also all of our, uh, my other relationships is this, is that generosity gives gifts and not loans. Generosity gives gifts and not loans. It can be hard to tell the difference between a gift and a loan. But instinctively, we all know the difference. A gift is something you receive with no strings attached and no conditions. But if you go to the bank and you ask for a loan, there will be a fairly extensive list of conditions that you need to keep that go with that loan. One of them is actually paying the money back. That's the main one. But when someone gives you something, it can be often hard to know whether it's a gift or a loan. But there's one fail-safe way to know whether a gift that you gave was a gift or a loan. There's one fail-safe way, and that's how you feel when it's not reciprocated. Because if, if you feel like it should have been reciprocated, then I'm sorry, that, that was not a gift. That was a loan because you expected something in return. True generosity gives gifts and not loans. I remember learning this because I had a, had a friend back in Christchurch who would often send me a text and say, hey, Pete, you want to go for a surf? I said, great, I'm always up to go for a surf, so hey, that's awesome. He said, oh, actually, my, I'm a little bit low on gas, so could you come pick me up? <laughs> that, that, that should be the warning sign, eh? Okay, I'll come pick you up. And uh, so I pop past his house, and we go and pick him up, and um, he has a particular favorite surf break, and I have another surf break. And I kind of thought that because I was driving, I would get to choose the surf break we go to. But he said, no, 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 no. I really, I, we're going to go to Spencer's. We, we, we're going to Spencer's. We need to go to Spencer's. And I thought, oh, great. On the way home, uh, he says, oh, would you like some fish and chips? <laughs> no, great. I, I'm, I'm down for fish and chips. Going into the fish and chip shop. This happened a number of times. Uh, <laughs> going into the fish and chip shop. Oh, I've left my wallet at home. <laughs> would you mind just covering it? And at the time, God was challenging me on being generous. And so I think, okay, suck it up, Peter. Be generous. It's good to be generous. You know, and so I'd, I'd do it. And, and it really, it really got to me. And you can tell even now, like years later, it's like, Ugh. I start feeling resentful. I, he never pays for fish and chips. He never pays. We both don't have much money. What makes him think that he can shirk his responsibilities? But um, what I realized is that the whole time, I, I w the gifts looked generous on the outside, but they, they weren't gifts because a gift would not have expected something in return. They, they were loans. And it's okay not to give something. It really is. It's okay to set a boundary with somebody and say, listen, mate, uh, you always call me up to text me uh, to go for a surf, um, and we always take my car, and I just feel a little bit uncomfortable with that. That conversation is okay to happen. Absolutely. What's not okay is for me to pretend to be generous when I'm not really feeling that generous inside. <laughs> Amen? If you take nothing from this message, take this. God does not bless fake generosity. I know that might be hard to take, but, but I've really thought hard about that and come to the conclusion that God is calling us to be generous for our sakes. And if we're faking it, I'm sorry, that's just not something he's going to bless. First, uh, 2 Corinthians 9 verse 7 says this. 
about that very issue. Each of you should give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for the Lord loves a cheerful giver. If you'd like to give something, the Lord will revel in your generosity. He'll be so proud of you for your generosity. If you want to set a boundary, he'll be proud of that too. But he does not bless fake generosity. The final thing that I believe will encourage you is this, is that generosity can be grown. Generosity can be grown. We all uh, have different levels of what we're comfortable with giving. The point is not where we're coming from. The point is where we're going to. So if, if you don't find it that easy to give, it's okay. Just try and grow it a little bit. Because generosity is, in essence, faith in God who provided. Faith can be grown, and therefore generosity can be grown. Maybe this week there's an extra special gift that you'd like to give somebody else. If you're good at giving gifts, and you, you kind of make that your everyday thing, and you like to give gifts to people, then make it just a little bit extra special. If you struggle with giving, that's okay too. Just try and give a little bit more than uh, you would naturally like to. Maybe you take your children out for an afternoon of quality time. Maybe uh, take a long lunch break and work later into the evening so you can take a long lunch break with a friend so that you can encourage them. Maybe you can drop around a gift of money to, to somebody so that their whole family can go out and do something special that they would not normally be able to afford to do. Can I ask you what your next step in generosity is? What is one thing right now that God is calling you to gift somebody this week? As the band comes, uh, many of you know that I've got two young boys. Our youngest, actually is sitting in the front row, uh, is five weeks old. He's called Hudson James MacArthur. Hudson was named, at least in part, over a missionary called Hudson James Taylor. And Hudson Taylor is a man of deep inspiration for me because he was one of the first men to share Jesus with inland China. He felt the call of God on his life. And in 1865, he asked God with audacious faith. He was a man who had audacious faith to believe for God's provision. He asked God for audacious faith for 24 missionaries which was amazing because that was more than any had ever joined any mission organization at one time. He was, and in his first hit, he was going right out there. A few years later in 1865, sorry, in 1881, he asked God for another 70 missionaries. And he saw 76 join his mission. Only two years later, he asked God for another 100 missionaries. And 102 joined his missionary service. They gave up everything to minister in a foreign country in mainland China. Let me tell you, church, that big life, a life of a big legacy, is, what, is a generous life. And the reason why we're called to live generous lives is because generosity is very simply a practical expression of the faith that we are to have in God, that the God who provided once will continue to provide. Hudson Taylor was also a man of deep sacrifice who through his sacrifice and service had influence on China and today in Southeast Asia, numbering in the hundreds of millions. This is what he said about how China would be won. China is not to be won for Christ, 
by quiet, ease-loving men and women. The stamp of men and women we need are that that will put Jesus, China, and souls first and foremost in everything and at every time. That even life itself must be secondary. Church, let me tell you today that Whangarei is not to be won by people who keep their possessions inside the four walls of their homes, but Whangarei is to be won by people who say, God, everything you've given me, every good and perfect gift comes down from above. And you are welcome, Jesus, at any time to lead me to give anything away so that other people might experience your love flowing through me and come to know you. Would you ask this week boldly and honestly, God, what would you have me do with everything you've entrusted me with? Right at the beginning of the message, I shared about the Garden of Eden and how the garden was created as an abundant place where people could freely meet together and meet with God walking together. But the end of that story is a, is a terrible set of events where humanity, through Adam and Eve, chose to take what they wanted instead of trusting the Lord to provide. They took for themselves what was not theirs to take. And the result was a broken relationship between them and God. Now, this story is vital. It's vital for all of us because that story is also my story. And that story is also your story, that, that all of us have experienced peace with the Lord that has been broken because we've taken for ourselves what we wanted instead of trusting God. Now, the very, very good news is that God for a moment did not give up on you, that God for a moment did not give up on us, that since that moment we've been cho- that we chose to walk away, He has been active in calling us home. In Romans chapter 5, verse 8, it says this, But God demonstrates His own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you, and His desire for you is so strong that He sent His Son Jesus to take all of your mistakes upon Himself, to take all your failures upon Himself, so that you might have everything that that garden represents, which is peace with God. So I say all of this to say this. Maybe you're here today and you know that you need to make things right with God, that you've walked away from the garden that he wants to build around your life, which is a garden of peace and abundance. Let me tell you today that coming back to God is only ever one prayer away. And all of us here in just a few moments are going to pray this prayer out loud. And if that's you, would you pray that prayer along with the person next to you and everybody else here out loud. Let's close our eyes and bow our heads. Let's pray out loud. We say, Dear Jesus, I know I've messed up, but today I choose to give my life to you. I hold nothing back. Thank you that you died to cover my sin and rose again to give me new life Thank you that you found me and thank you for your grace. 
with every head bowed and eye closed. If you prayed that prayer, either for the very first time or you've walked away from the Lord and you know that you need to come home this morning, would you raise your hand up nice and high? We'd love to connect with you and get a Bible in your hands. Awesome. God, we thank you that you've created us to live big lives, abundant lives, where you provide at each step everything that we need. God, we just ask that uh, we would be empowered with boldness to walk out of here, to follow your Spirit's leading in what we are to give this week. Holy Spirit, I pray in faith right now that you are speaking to every heart across this room, putting a person in their mind whom they can bless this week with an extra special uh, expression of generosity this week. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on. Let's encourage. What, what an incredible message this morning.